Welcome to Far Realms Radio. I'm Skyler. And I'm Justin. This is our podcast of many things. Where we give you eldritch advice to improve your Dungeons and Dragons games. Let's dive in. Far Realms Radio. This week, we're talking about the Cleric. The only class to never have its name changed in the history of the game. From the very start of it to today. It also is historically one of the most powerful classes there ever was. Clerics can do a lot. Powerful and versatile. Yeah, definitely. So what is a cleric in D&D is the question. I mean, I think that, like... What is a cleric is definitely a question I asked when I was a teenager going like, what is, is that like the sports ball team? Yeah, I was like, is that like the white mage in Final Fantasy? Right. When a friend of mine said, yeah, he has exactly the example he used. With armor and melee weapons. And you're like, so better? Right. And then I was like, but wait, there are paladins too. What? And that distinction, I think, has always been kind of a fuzzy line. Um, The game describes them as intermediaries between the mortal world and the distant plains of the gods. So priests. Yeah, well, as varied as the gods they serve, clerics strive to embody the handiwork of their deities. No ordinary priest, a cleric is imbued with divine magic. So priests and pagan priests, question marks? You magical, how, magical priests. You can see how this was inflammatory right. maybe in the 80s. <laughs> yeah, you know, the satanic panic and all that. But right. it was based on, Gygax based it on characters that, in history, really, uh, the Odo of Bayo and Archbishop of Turpin were kind of like base characters that evolved into like paladins and yeah. I mean, it's a classic archetype too, like right? That. Like, not every holy person is going to be a warrior necessarily. Also, see the Pope or a variety of other great healers, even Gandhi. You could say whatever it might be, like somebody who has a lot of power, but the power comes from a different power source than other magic users. Faith, in this case. What's interesting, I think, is in the earlier editions, you know, there was this sense of tying classes to different sort of names, because it's all made up, right? Like, a cleric versus a priest versus a holy person or a hierophant or anything like that. You know, so they kind of baked it in. I always read in the early ones when they're like, as you progress in levels and you change your your title, so to speak, it's sort of like whatever you want. You know, you, you here are some suggestions, and we kind of put it in some rules. Well, in the original you. game, you had titles that you got as you leveled well, up. Well, right. I mean, right. And it started with things like acolyte, and then ended up in like vicar, curate, llama, patriarch, which have, of course, no bearing on each other yeah. at all. <laughs> I think village priest is the best. I graduate to village priest. That's the third one. I'm like, oh, that's a lot of responsibility. Also, whose village? Did you yeah, suddenly get a village? Aren't you adventuring? Right. I don't understand. I thought that you were like in a dungeon for the past like, like month. Yeah, isn't that like a step <laughs> down from cleric? You came back from the dungeon enough times in old school D&D, they were like, oh, you survived the Tomb of Horus. You must be our new priest. Right, I guess that's it. But uh, clerics first show up in 1974 in the original game. And the class is kind of like described as being this between the fighting men and the magic users. They have advantages of both classes um, in that they could use a lot of the magic armor and all non-edged magic weapons. No arrows either, uh, as well as a number of their own spells. In addition, they could use a lot more of the magical items than the fighting men could. So they kind of bridge the gap between those two other base classes. Yeah, I mean, like, you could get by with a cleric and no fighter in your party. You 
would be harder be harder for us to get by with a fighter and no cleric in you, those days. Clerics get invited to every party, right? For a reason. They always nobody always wanted to play one too because it was kind of the incentive they gave that to still play the class even though they knew that as the, the class who had healing powers, you were going to well, have to be spending your magic on healing all the time. You didn't have any healing powers at level one. Right, and the you original one you did just had a mace. <laughs> and You're like, well, guys, I'll be able to heal you eventually, but and right faith. now... I have faith. I will get magic one day. Have faith. <laughs> right right now, I'm just a <laughs> shitty fighting man. <laughs> I just need your faith to get me there. <laughs> Seriously, guys, like I swear the gods listen to me. Yeah, at level one, you're just like kind of the, the town crazy person, I guess. <laughs> I mean, that's changed, of course, over the editions, but... Uh, uh, yeah, they give them a big upgrade when we move to uh, AD&D. Uh, the cleric, of course, was one of the five core classes. They got their hit die bumped up to a D8, which was pretty sweet, especially at the time, given how frail other casters were. Right. Remember, like, wizards would have D4. Yeah. And then you could you could heal at first level. You could do things with spells. Um, and the wisdom score kind of gave you this spell bonus, while having a low wisdom score actually gave you a spell failure chance. Yeah. Which works fine. Uh, something that I thought was really cool that I didn't know uh, was that the specialty clerics... And the cleric spell sphere concepts that showed up later actually came from Dragonlance. That's interesting. In the 1987 Dragonlance Adventures book. This is one of the things where the you know D and D and the fiction around D and D have permutated each other back and forth and back and forth, right? So Dragonlance comes up with this notion of spheres. Dragonlance was very deeply tied also with the origins of D and D. There wasn't oh, yeah. a lot of fantasy I at love that Dragonlance. time, right? And uh, then the notions of spheres gave rise to a magic system around it that was tied to Kryn, but then the Forgotten Realms co-opted that and then later. spheres became domains. Right, right. And then prayers and then domains again. Which then influenced the fiction that Ed Greenwood wrote, you know, back in the fiction a, it's realm. It's an interesting, like, circular process, <laughs> yeah. you know. And in second edition, we kind of started to see a lot of that come into play the, through those those spheres of influence. Yeah, they doubled down on it a lot. I vividly remember the old Demi, Deities and Demi's God book, and it went into such detail. I think this was Sean K. Reynolds who wrote it on all of the different spheres and things. That I remember thinking to myself, well, I'm glad they included this for completionist's sake, but why would I ever use right, this like in my game? Sun, or even like, here's, here's the domain of mud. Yeah, you, you had them all, <laughs> and they'd have this big circle. And they're kind of all around that circle. And when you chose one, you could do spells from that sphere of influence as well as the ones adjacent to it. I right. Believe. It was Something there. Like is that. there a reflection of that people's worship was more complicated than just monotheism or anything else like that? They they kind of knew that belief structures in this imaginary game were maybe tricky in some areas. So they're like, here's some historical evidence. People used to worship pantheons, you know, and they would worship one or more parts of the pantheon. And if you worship like Thor or Zeus, he'd have like. Thunder, in Zeus's case, and it, also lightning, which is adjacent to it. A lot know? of it was analogs of real-world religions. Sometimes they actually was, wrote them in the yeah, books. Like his religious historical figures are kind of the basis for the class. Right. And so you did see uh, they designers pull away from that due to the satanic panic. They even changed the names of like devils and angels and demons to different silly things. One of the things I liked about it, though, just coming to the game at that point was... It was interesting to see a system of thinking around belief structure and without or maybe with equal weight given to each of the deities dogmas in whatever the book was, you know, like just being able to look at it and say, oh, they have deities of death and so on and so forth and also life and also war and whatever and how they interplayed with them. It felt, I don't know, uh, easier and maybe more approachable to the imagination than a lot of the old like combing through Norse Eddas and sagas or Egyptian lore. Exactly. You know? they, they definitely game of codified it a bunch because yeah. when you look at a lot of those, it's a lot more nuanced and 
you know, different writers and different texts will present very different vo- versions of Loki, for I mean, example. It's a daunting right? job. To, like, it depends to who you're reading. Stuff. Right, absolutely. So, I mean, hats off to the, the designers of the day because being able to codify that in some sense, like, wow. Yeah. Making the Pantheon is, it's, there's ways to do it, but it's always kind of a challenge to get it to hit just the right notes without it feeling like you're copying something else. Right. Um, the funny thing I thought, though, about clerics in this edition was, they were still limited to blunt bludgeoning weapons, uh, unless allowed other weapons by their dogma or mythos. You choose your special. But you could also use an armor or a shield. Right. Now, the funny thing here is I'm like, I don't know. I feel like concussions, are, you're still fucking somebody's day up. <laughs> I, I don't understand. Yeah, but this was back when... You can be a cleric of death, but God forbid you shed blood. This is like, this is back when like... With a uh, bladed weapon? I think it was more about damage, actually, how they balanced it. Less, less than about uh, uh, necessarily belief structure, because in second edition, the blunt weapons didn't have very high crits, and they weren't the most damaging, but they did the mm. most damage to the most kinds of monsters. Gotcha. But scimitars, long swords, bastard swords, great swords, they all did more damage to higher numbers, which of course players wanted to roll more dice and have gotcha. higher numbers. Of course that power gamer came back out and wanted to kill things better with a crit. You know, remember in third edition they doubled down on it with the scythe, where it was like four X for yeah. a crit. So th- you know what you would I, do? I totally never abused that. What you would do with this in second edition was <laughs> you would pick a cleric and you would pick a specialty class that granted you access to a badass weapon like a scimitar and also some blast like a wizard, oh, and yeah. then you could gish your way past no matter what. Just you were a crit machine. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that was good times. The uh, the other thing in this edition what we first saw were some of the the specialty cleric supplements and variants. Uh, the crusader, the monk, the mystic, and the shaman were all kind of under that umbrella. Uh, the monk and the mystic kind of became different things later on, as well as the crusader and the shaman kind of moved towards paladin and druid. Mm-hmm. Um, even though the paladin showed up as a subclass of the fighter quite early on as well. So after second, you move on to third and three point five, and that's really start. You start to see the cleric as we know it now, with its domains and the way they prepare spells, and they have yeah. a little bit more of that spontaneous casting that we're used to now. It kind of first shows up here. They got rethought big time coming to third edition, especially from second edition, and they tried to listen to f- the feedback of the community, some of the tropes of the game, you know, and old gaming. It's like nobody wanted to be the cleric because it meant that you had to have you were the heal bot. Yeah, all your spells were healing, so none of the cool other spells that clerics would get. You could use because your party would just give you crap if you well, didn't. Yeah, heal if you them. didn't have all the healing spells prepared, people are like, "What? What? What are you doing?" Right. So then you become a gate for the party. It's just you know, it's not. I mean, didn't leave you feeling you, great. You did have power over when the party had to rest, though. It was like, guys, I'm out of healing spells. Right. I think we're gonna take a break, and they're like, "Yep, yep, okay, Fair. we're gonna do it." The thing is, in third edition, they, they, I think they succeeded at changing that pretty admirably, and what it resulted in was the cleric is the most powerful class for third edition and three five, and even I think in Pathfinder still. It was too. definitely definitely one of the most powerful base classes. I mean, like you're wearing heavy armor, you, you can, can heal use, yourself. You can use simple weapons, which is not just bludgeoning. You can heal yourself, but you don't have to take healing spells. This is one of the things that made it so powerful. So, like, you're a pretty decent warrior. You can wear armor and shields at least as good as fighters and paladins. Yeah, you can't fight as well as them necessarily, but you know, as far as survival ability is concerned you can take cleric spells now whatever spells you want and then if you're worshiping a, a good god or neutral and you choose it you sacrifice any of the spells that you have for spontaneous casting to heal your allies yeah that was kind of nice depending on your alignment you could if you were good you could heal if you were of evil alignment you could inflict wounds right if you were neutral you could do both, so you pretty much always found a way to try to choose neutral. You had to pick. Uh, and, and I think it depended on the DM whether it <laughs> was when did. you memorized it or when you picked your faith. 
Gotcha. Well, usually your your deity had a specific alignment they fell under. No, I mean they, if you chose neutral, right? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah it it yeah. would depend. Sometimes you know you'd be stuck with one, or the DM would let it be flexible. It just kind of depended on context. But it did come back to those domains because that really a lot of the time in three five you chose your alignment to get the certain domain that you wanted. Well, right. I mean, this is this is the spheres. It's this, it's the same kind of thing as in second edition. You pick your specialty cleric, whichever one you want, and then in third edition, instead. You get domains, and it's they don't call it spheres of influence. Instead, it's the domains of power, right? Whatever the domains the god has, and you get these different powerful abilities <clears throat> for each domain that you would you would get. But you're still picking your cleric, your your god, based upon what power you wanted to get. You also saw the uh, kind of the turn of dead channel divinity stuff started showing up for clerics here with with the terms that we use now. Yeah, channeling your divinity. So you think about like okay, relative to other classes of the day, wizards could do arcane magic. Rogues could do magic items and sneaking and a little bit of fighting. Fighters could fight and they could survive. Barbarians could fight better and survive better, but and also roguey stuff. Clerics could fight, they could heal, they could harm, they could buff. You know, they could do like everything. So it was really easy to build a powerful cleric. Uh, oh yeah, and they were very flexible because you had so many domains to choose from. You could take in a lot of different directions. Does this one enhance your dexterity? Does that one yep. give you like darkness at will? You know? Yeah, and also in three and three five, you were no longer restricted to stupid blunt weapons. Right, you could use all simple weapons, and a lot of the time you had other weapon proficiencies you either got through domains or through feats, or sometimes you could just use the signature weapon of your deity. Uh, you could also use any armor shield, except the tower shield of note. Yes, which only the fighter could use. So in 4th edition, I think, is the first time that the cleric really got balanced with all the other classes because everything was balanced, right? That was the big stick of 4th edition. They're mathematically like, tied together. We're going to balance it all. We're going to make it so that there's no useless class and there's no useless race. It's all going to be equal. That's that. And it did a good job at that. You know, it's it very clear roles. They, they had math behind how they managed all the numbers and what you could do. And it was very restrictive, but it dramatically rethought the game. Um, and it clarified really... Power sources, I think, not just from talking about like arcane versus divine, but for all the classes and cleric too. You're like, okay, it's a divine power source. So, you know, that means you pick a god or whatever it might be, but it doesn't need to be necessarily that. It's it it, uh, it made it very easy to to build a flexible cleric as as more than just a heal bot. But I mean, they returned it as a leader. Yeah, yeah, it fell into that leader uh, role in terms of the uh, the party roles that you had in that edition. It also kind of set you up for these like two cleric builds of the battle cleric and the like more healy magic y cleric. Right. It kind of gave you those paths to go down, kind of like a branching skill tree almost. This is with each of the classes, right? Like which of these two builds are you gonna go toward? And if you do anything suboptimal, well, it's suboptimal, you know. So and this is where I think that fourth edition often received a lot of criticism. In, in particular, because clerics like wizards, one of the things you like out of it is flexibility to pick spells. You know, yeah. like you can, especially in third edition, you could pick all kinds of weird esoteric stuff. It's magic, not just fight. I also thought it was funny in fourth edition that all of your powers were called prayers. Yes. Like in Dungeons and Dragons, thoughts and prayers actually does something, I guess. <laughs> I wish the real world worked that way. Hey, escapist fantasy at its best. Thoughts and prayers. There you go. And then now we are here in fifth edition. Uh, clerics are pretty similar. They haven't changed too much. Big things that have changed are they now have one domain in 5th edition, which is kind of your subclass. Right. And I mean, it's basically back to like 5th edition's there's simplify. There's kind of a change with the proficiencies. 
You're still proficient with light armor, medium armor, shields, and simple weapons. However, they took away the base armor proficiency in 5e. Um, you get it back through a lot of the cleric subclasses. You can get it through feats. Um, however, it was a very notable thing to take away from the cleric is it's had it since its very first inception in the original edition. Yeah. So, you know, let's just go through the class features. I think what's interesting about clerics is that uh, they, in different editions, have been on par or not on par with wizards or sorcerers as far as spellcasters are concerned. Um, their spellcasting comes from their wisdom, right? It's from their faith. Yep. And uh, they basically have a list of spells that they can pick from, and then they choose which ones they have prepared each day. Unlike a wizard, which picks from the spells in their spellbook, or other classes, you know, warlocks have a set number that are always available, and that's it, right? So you yeah. kind of have to know what, what what's available to you and then pick a few favorites. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. You're kind of halfway in between the fully preparing everything and, and the spontaneous casting, which is kind of nice. I've always kind of liked that mix of like you choose your available spells, but you can mix around those spell slots within those chosen spells however you want. Right. And I always kind of joke now that every all the character classes in 5e, everyone's a cleric now. Because <laughs> in previous editions, kind of only the clerics work that way, but you see other classes work that way as well in 5th edition. Granting the ability to heal other people, all or kinds just, of stuff. you know, having that mix of prepared spells and spontaneous casting options. Yes, yes. But you actually get that at level 1, along with your domain, which is interesting because usually you don't get your subclass in 5e to, to until levels 2 or 3. With a cleric, you give it at level 1 due to the way it interacts with proficiencies, right? Right, right. You get armor or weapon proficiencies. It's also kind of so inherent to your character to have that like right. connection with the deity that they just throw it in there at level 1. You're it's not going to very... be like a cleric of a question marks faith yeah, for two right? levels. I'm not sure yet, guys. I don't know where my power comes I'm, from. I'm really religious, but I don't know to whom. <laughs> yeah, it's it's one of those things. It's a very front-loaded class. In fact, at level 3, you get no features whatsoever. You just just second-level spells. You just get second-level spells, which, which is, is a big deal. Yeah, it's yeah. a big deal, I mean, but it's weird <laughs> always seeing that empty space under your features it on, the, on the chart. At level 2, though... You get Channel Divinity, right? Channel Divinity is, I think it's the same kind of thing like Turn Undead, Channel Channel Undead, or whatever it might mm-hmm. be in, in prior editions, too. And it changes based on your, your domain. Right. And 4th edition saw it, they changed it into a, basically a power source where you could use it for different purposes. And 5th edition maintains that, too. You know, th- there was some of the start of this in 3rd edition, if you were certain kinds of prestige classes or different things and had a Channel... Mm-hmm. Uh, Channel Undead or, or Turn Undead power, you could use it as like a power source for other stuff. This is the, case, the same case here. Basically, it lets you use energy from whatever your deity is that you worship to fuel a variety of magical effects. Um, and it depends upon which domain you picked what you can use it for, right? Um, usually, you have to wait until you do a short rest or a long rest before you get your uses back. Um, but almost always, these effects require saving throws of some DC uh, usually your spell DC to overcome. Yeah, and the effects the effects are pretty varied based on what subclass you're going with. Uh, they all do have that kind of turn undead ability built into them a little bit. They do. And at, later at fifth level, you get destroy undead, which is always a nice free bit of EXP. Right. What's interesting is that they just took it out here, the ability to control undead, which was dating back to second edition yeah. where you could do either right. one. Yeah, right? it was kind of nice having that option or, you know, maybe your cleric went one way or the other. But yeah, I, I believe there's a subclass now that leans into that a little bit. There is. There is. You have to opt into it. You know, it's one. It's once again them sort of saying like, hey, heroes first, villains slash antiheroes, maybe question marks? Maybe. We're just going to put it behind the curtain. You can build curtain. for it. You we'll, can ask well, and we'll, we'll show it to you. We're going to put it in the DMG and hide it <laughs> right. from you. I mean, it's not for you players. <laughs> right? Even though it's a PC option, it makes no sense. 
So, At level 10, though, you get Divine Intervention, which I think is a cool one. It is. It is. I mean, it's 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 definitely a thing, a kind of thing that lets you either really hate on your DM and grief your DM. It, it is a little DM dependent. Or other players, depending. It, it, the coolness of this one depends on how cool your DM is. Yeah, and, so, and, and, and I think how cool your, you have built your yeah, cleric to be. It, yeah, exactly. Like, the more you play and lean into that deity bit, the more this probably will help you out, because... When you use this ability, you, you implore your deity to help you. Uh, essentially, you describe the assistance you seek and roll percentile dice. Basically, you're literally asking for deus ex machina. Yeah. If you roll a number equal to or lower than your cleric level on those percentile dice, which is one out of 100, your deity intervenes. The DM, however, chooses the nature of said intervention. The effect of any cleric spell or cleric domain spell is considered appropriate. So it kind of gives your DM an idea, because otherwise the DM's like, I don't, I don't fucking know. What does that mean? I'm going to drop an Archon on him like, right now? What am I supposed to do with this? He gets a, what did he get? The interesting about this is you can't use it again for seven days. So it's basically starting at 10th as long, level. If you succeed, right? Here's, here's what it says. If your deity intervenes, you can't use this feature again for seven days. Otherwise, you can use it again after you finish a long rest. So you can just kind of constantly pester your deity until they give in. You know, like you Every used to day, do your mom. You're like, come on, mom. 10% Let's chance. go do this. <laughs> come on. And just wear them down. Hey, hey, deity. I really, you know, but the thing is, if you think about it, just the math of this. So you, you basically, when you get this ability at 10th level, it's a 10% chance. Mm-hmm. The max it ever gets is 20%. Yeah. Which means, let's, Well, actually, at level 20, it becomes 100%. If when you do it straight yes, up, at straight up twenty, with that right until you use it again. Yeah. But let's just say for ten percent when you get it. Yeah, ten percent chance every day that God or gods come down and answer your prayer in the form of a spell, whatever that might be. So you 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 know you're a cleric at tenth level. You have some idea of what powerful spells there are out there. You can just pray, and if you pray for a ten day, then it's almost a guaranteed success. Right. I'm just gonna pray for divine intervention, guys. No, don't worry about it. We're gonna summon. A swarm of locusts over there. Just give me ten days to pray. Damn, I'm gonna. We're gonna wait here until I roll a ten. I'll cover all the in prices. No big deal. You know, we'll hang out here for a ten day. Exactly. That's that's kind of the other main feature that you get as a cleric. The other ones all kind of come down to your domains. Right. The domains really do grant the clerics a lot of power. It's just. Yeah, but before we talk about domains, I want to mention just a couple of feats that I find are always really handy for clerics. Um, Warcaster uh, is a solid one for a lot of reasons. Uh, mainly, you can do somatic components without having to put down your shield. You know, you can do it with weapons, armor in hand. You can cast spells as a opportunity attack using your reaction, which is dope. So you can just cast inflict harm. If someone, you know, you get an opportunity attack, that's Super a pretty useful. cool one. And you also get the advantage to keeping your concentration up, which is really handy if you have a buff on yourself or a teammate or an offensive spell and you're waiting into melee. Yeah. So I think Warcaster is probably one of the strongest feats for most clerics. Um, though, obviously, lucky is good for any character. Um, and I every think character lucky every is good for every character. With certain cleric builds, mobile can be very good because you may want to get into melee range to heal a ally, but you don't want to get smacked around with those opportunity attacks. Yeah, deliver a touch, you know. Yeah. Not taking a spare shot from that beefy fighter is always a good idea. The nice thing about mobile is you do not actually have to hit them. You just (laughs) have to make an attack attempt. Right. So, you know, that can be pretty handy. Uh, But what really defines a cleric is their domain. So let's get into that. 
And we're going to start with the, we're going to go in alphabetical order because that's how our show notes are. Uh, we'll let you know what book they're from, though. We're going to start off with the Arcana Domain from Sword, Sword Coast, Coasts. Sword Coast Adventurer's Guide, hereby referred to as SCAG, <laughs> just because it's really fun to say. Skag. And it almost sounds like it's a bad word. I feel like it's like a type of troll. I, I think you that's know? true. So that's what it sounds like, like those water trolls, or maybe it's like a rock troll. It just sounds trolly. Scrag. Scag. That's a role that is definitely a word in the troll language. It is. Scag. So, you know, at first level, you get as your domain spells, and every domain grants you different spells, detect magic, always useful, and magic missile. This is basically, I'm a cleric who wants to be a wizard. Yeah, you're pretty much leaning into the arcane side here. Right. It's a little, it can be a little weird flavor-wise, but... You can make it work. Yeah, maybe you just worship a god of magic or goddess of magic or something to that effect. At third level, you get magic weapon, always useful, especially for overcoming resistances, and Nistil's magic aura, which I always think of more for effect than... than uh... I mean, hey, half of magic is just looking flashy, and <laughs> yes. the wizards get most of the flashy stuff, so you gotta get some here. Uh, you get Dispel Magic and Magic Circle at 5th. Two great utility spells. Yep, Arcane Eye and Lumid Secret Chest at 7th. And then at ninth, you get Planar Biting and Teleportation Circle. Hot diggity. Which are just always a good time. But by the time you're 17th, 18th level, you better be able to teleport a bunch of people around. Or else, what so. are you doing? Right? So let's go through what you get from this one. Uh, level 1, you get Arcane Initiate, which when you choose this domain at first level, you gain proficiency in the Arcana skill. You also gain two cantrips from the wizard spell list. For you, these cantrips count as cleric cantrips, which Ooh. is handy because I guess you I mean, can use your wisdom mod maybe. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, so at second level, you get to use your channel divinity for arcane abjuration. It basically lets you abjure otherworldly creatures, which is like protection magic, blasting them away. You can spend an action to present your holy symbol and one celestial elemental fey or fiend of your choice, that is within 30 feet of you, has to make a wisdom save, provided that it can see or hear you. And if it fails its save, it's turned for one minute or until it takes any damage. Be gone, demon! So what does turned imply in this context? So a turned creature has to spend its turns trying to move as far away from you as it can, and it can't willingly end its move within a space anywhere that's within 30 feet of you. It can't take reactions for its action. It can only use dash to try to escape from the effect. It's basically terrified... If it can't get away in any way, shape, or form, then it just tries to dodge you as best its its ability. Nice. Um, so it basically it's uh, it's tied to your level. How powerful a thing that you can banish, and it goes at fifth level, it's one half. At eighth, it's one. At eleventh level, it's two or or lower, of course, for all of these. At fourteenth, it's three or lower, and at seventeenth, it's CR four or lower. So you know, these just like automatically, if you are a big honkin' seventeenth level badass character. Anything that's a CR4, lesser demon or devil like, or nope. fiend or whatever, go away. Just go home, son. Leave me alone. Yeah, it's really for those outsiders and kind of sending them back to their plane. I think an important thing to note is at fifth level, if a creature fails its saving throw against this feature, it's banished for one minute as per the banishment spell. Which is awesome. Which makes it a lot better. So once you hit fifth, this kind of ticks up a bit. Yeah, like, I mean, that's like you send it back to its home plane, basically. Yeah, you're not going to get any big creatures with this, given the CR limitations, but it's still pretty cool. So at 6th level, you get Spellbreaker, which when you restore hit points to an ally with a spell of 1st level or higher, you can also end one spell of your choice on that creature. So diggity. somebody's charmed over there and hit, you know, hurt, hurt a little bit. You go over and heal them, and then that charmed person right? is gone. The only copy is a level of the spell you end 
has to, to be equal to or lower than the level of the spell you use to heal. Right. But you can pump your heal spells up, and you're getting a twofer, so it's usually worth it. Right. Plus, your party member's not going to be mad about more more heal. No, or no. even more action or negating that awful thing that was sucking on me right now. Right. So potent spell casting is the next one. Basically, starting at 8th level, you add your wisdom modifier to the damage you deal with any cantrip. Which Normally, is, you which don't. Which is great. Uh, but at 8th level, if you're relying on cantrips for damage as a cleric, there might be something wrong. <laughs> However, plain arcana clerics, you're probably more on the caster side than the melee side. So it might be useful to have. I just feel like at 8th level, most of the time, as a cleric, you have better options. I've always thought that this... Because they do, all, this, the, the cantrips do scale up at certain levels. All of, all of them get this. Uh, you know, and They do scale up and you get this boon, but it, it always sort of felt kind of cheap because melee and ranged combatants already get their ability while Yeah, right? Attacks. You're like, oh, cool, finally. Right. I mean, welcome to the party, clerics. I mean, it's the same with Eldritch Blast. Even the warlocks have to take a, you know, a feature to get the, yeah. the mod. So then finally at 17th level, you get Arcane Mastery, which basically lets you choose four spells from the wizard spell list, one from each of the following levels, 6th, 7th, 8th, and ninth. all the good ones. You then add them to your list of domain spells. Those are the ones that are just for you. Uh, and like your other spells, they're always prepared and they always count as cleric spells for you. Hell yeah. So if you're not taking wish in that, then what is wrong with Th- you? This is a really cool feature. I'm just sad at 17th level because most of the time I'll never see any play. Right. But man, that's a good one. It really, I think, is a nice capstone for this subclass. All right, so next we have the Death Domain. This one's in the DMG. It's one of the hidden ones. Right, not for players straight up. You have to have the impression first. This is one of the bad guy clerics. So at first level, you get False Ray and Ray of Sickness. False Life and Ray of Sickness. Right, False Life and Ray of Sickness, my mistake. Uh, And then at third level, you get Blindness slash Deafness and Rave Enfeeblement. At fifth level, you get Animate Dead and Vampiric Touch. And then 7th level, you get Blight and Death Ward. Finally, at ninth level, you get Anti-Life Shell and Cloud Kill. I mean, you got to get those two if you're in the Death Domain. Yeah. I feel like the first couple domain spell levels are more like Sickness and Plague than Death, but one leads to the other, I guess. This is definitely your Necromancer build. Kind of, kind of. The features don't really lean into that as much as you would think. Um, at first level, you get a bonus proficiency in Martial Weapons. You also get a feature called Reaper. You learn one necromancy cantrip of your choice from the spell list. When you cast that, that cantrip normally targets only one creature. The spell can target two creatures within range of five feet of each other. Um, There's like three necromancy cantrips to choose from. So this one's (laughs) cool, but a little bit limited. Uh, Your channel divinity is touch of death. At second level, basically, you can use channel divinity to destroy another creature's life force just by touching them. And when you hit a creature with a melee attack, you use your channel divinity to deal extra necrotic damage to the target. And then the damage equals five plus twice your cleric level. It's kind of like a little mini smite. Anti-smite. Yeah, it's an anti-smite. I like it. At fourth level, you get inescapable destruction. It's such a cool name. The names are good, at least. Starting at sixth level, you get inescapable destruction, which is basically your ability to channel negative energy uh, becoming more potent. Necrotic damage dealt by your cleric spells and channel divinity options ignores any resistance to necrotic damage. Which is pretty cool because that resistance does show up. It's one of the more common ones, I think, Mm -hmm. along with, of course, like fire resistance and non-magical bludgeoning, slashing, and piercing. Right. So at 8th level, you get Divine Strike. And basically, it allows you to infuse your weapon with strikes of necrotic energy and... Once on each of your turns when you hit a creature with a weapon that you use, you can cause it to deal an extra D8 necrotic damage to the target. And then when you get to a 14th level, that goes up to 2D8. 
Zot. Right. Uh, at level 17, your final feature is Improved Reaper. When you cast a Necromancy spell of uh, first through fifth level that targets only one creature, you can now target two within range as long as the creatures are within five feet of each other. Eh. It's just an improved version of that from yeah. earlier. It's not that great. It's not that powerful. This cl- this subclass kind of feels like it's caught between kind of some necromancy stuff and just doing more damage. Dark which Knight. I guess more damage leads to death, but I flavor-wise would have preferred a little bit more leaning to the necromancy angle since you don't get so much of that in your base cleric anymore. Mechanically speaking, if it's going to be in the DMG, I would expect it to be a little bit OP, not just a little bit risque because this is not really yeah. particularly and risque. And if I'm using this against my players, it's kind of boring. I right. want my cleric to do scary shit instead yeah, of be- just like, he dealt a two extra damage of necrotic to you. <sighs> He's a reaper. <sighs> yeah. I don't know. But maybe it was in the DMG for a reason. Yeah. The next one, however, is one of my favorites. It is it's totally so good. So the Forge maybe Domain is from, good. from Xanthar's Guide to Everything. So the domains that you get, basically the spells you get, it starts off at first level with Identify and Searing Smite. So this this domain is one you take, basically, if you want to come out swinging. Oh, yeah, you come out swinging real hard with but this But also, one. like, Identify, that's always useful, because you're like, I know we're going to find magic things. I need to know what they do. Jeez, I hope so. At third level, you get one of the arguably most useful spells of early levels, which is Heat Metal. Heat Metal's a fun time. And Magic Weapon. And Magic Weapon. Both. It's like, I automatically have a magic sword or hammer or whatever. At Plus, level three. I'm going to just automatically disarm you or make you take damage every round and have a hard time hitting me with heat metal. So good. Great. At fifth level, you get elemental weapon and protection from energy. Doubling down on yeah. whatever you already know. Seventh level, fabricate and wall of fire, which makes sense. Yep. You're a forge cleric. And then ninth level, you get animate objects and creation, which are just a good time. Just a good time. <laughs> it's true. I mean, it's like, I'm just going to make stuff. Yeah, whatever it's, I want. it's fun stuff. So you get some bonus proficiencies when you choose this domain at first level, and it's basically heavy armor and smith's tools. Yes. So you're going to be fighting first and crafting. Fantastic. Viking or dwarf style. And then you get one of my favorite features ever, Blessing of the Forge. At first level, first level, you gain the ability to imbue magic into a weapon or armor. At the end of the long rest, you can touch one non-magical object that is a suit of armor or a simple or martial weapon. Until the end of your next long rest or until you die... The object becomes a magic item, granting a plus one bonus to AC if it's armor or a plus one bonus to attack on damage rolls if it's a weapon. Once you use this feature, you can't use it again if you till you finish a long rest, but it lasts until a long rest, so who cares? Basically, pick your magic. You you can get such a high AC as a Forge Cleric at such a low level, even mm-hmm. with the way they've changed the Warforge. You can get right up into the 20s oh, at level... At level one. Level one. Now, assuming you have full plate at level one, but I think the Warforge is one of the times where you can kind of get away with that at character creation because <laughs> yeah, you're DM, you're like, but I'm a mech. And I'm like, made of metal, DM. Like, okay, fine. I'll highlight you have this. Technically wood and other materials. <laughs> yeah, but metal. But but armor. <laughs> can I just like so put plate armor just, on? You know? it, that's just an insanely good feature. It is. It's super useful. At level one, no less. And the best part is it doesn't have to be your weapon or armor. I know. It can be one of your party members. Which means you can trade it around situationally. Which is that flexibility. Fantastic. Like if you, I, it, it seems like it makes sense if it was just like, pick your thing at start, and that's magic. You can make it, whatever. It's that thing. Yeah, you know, I really masterful. like the flexibility that of this you can feature. Pick what it's going to be. That's super it's useful. It's pretty cool. 
So your channel divinity is at second level, of course, and it's artisan's blessing. And basically you use it to create simple items. You can do an hour-long ritual that crafts a non-magical item that must include some metal, like a simple or a martial weapon, a suit of armor, 10 pieces of ammo, some tools, some other metal thing. The creation is completed at the end of the hour and it coalesces in an unoccupied space that you pick when anywhere on a surface within five feet of you. So your ritual happens and there it is. It's pretty handy. The thing you can create can be something that is worth no more than 100 gold. And as part of the ritual, you have to lay out the metal, uh, which can include include coins, um, basically with a value equal to the creation. The metal irretrievably coalesces and transforms into the creation at the end of the ritual, magically magically forming even non-metal parts of the creation. So if you know what it is and you have the material cost, then... Yeah, it's a great way to turn that gold and just essentially into an item. You have that 100 gold limitation, but the cool thing is you can create a duplicate of any non-magical item that contains metal. One they mention in the book is a key. That's a really handy thing to be able to do. Useful note. This is the designers being like... Designers are like, use this for keys, you idiots. This is a way to get really creative. Yeah, I think that is also just a fun one that fits with the flavor. Totally. Nice choice. Second level. Totally dig it. This one's very front-loaded, so you don't see Soul of the Forge the next ability until 6th level. Basically, when you hit 6th level, your Mastery of the Forge grants you special abilities, and it gets you resistance to fire damage, and while you're wearing heavy armor, you get another bonus to your AC. Yes, please. So at this point, like yes. you're 6th level, and you probably have full plate at this you're, point. And your AC's probably over 20. Plus a shield. Which is a big, big deal and in 5 you're talking 22 AC. Right. Maybe you can work up 23 if it, you have like... Some magic items or magic something. Magic items are like a, a, a stance or some yeah. other kind of feat. It, it is tough to get AC in 5e, and it's very powerful. So it's something that I'm always happy to see. Right. Me too. Uh, the only one that kind of disappoints me in this but makes sense uh, feature-wise is Divine Strike. You see this in a lot of different cleric uh, subclasses. At 8th level, you can infuse your weapon with the fiery power of the forge. Uh, once on each of your turns, when you hit a creature with a weapon attack, it can do an extra 1d8 fire damage to the target. When you hit level 14, that increases to 2d8. Nothing to write home about, but it definitely fits the character. Definitely. And then finally, at 17th level, you get Saint of Forge and Fire, which means your blessed affinity with fire and metal becomes more powerful. You gain immunity to fire damage, and while you're wearing heavy armor, you have resistance to bludgeoning, piercing, and slashing damage from non-magical attacks. Sweet. Yes, just leaning into it. I I really love this subclass. It's a little bit on the powerful side, but man, the flavor and the mechanics just are so cohesive that it's, how can you not have fun playing it? I mean, if ever I'm like, if I have to play a cleric, I'm in some group and they're like, oh man, we really need a cleric. I'm like, fine. I'm playing a cleric of the forge. With a giant ass hammer. Oh, hell yeah. Oh yeah. So next up is the grave domain. Also a Xanthar. That's right. That's right. XGE. Um, so, you know, this one starts out with, uh, it's got another, basically, uh, necromancy, evil undead kind of like kind this of touch. cycle of life or death kind of thing. Yeah. It starts out at first level, you get Bane and False Life as your first level two. And then at third level, you get Gentle Repose and Rave Enfeeblement. And then at fifth level, you get Revivify and Vampiric Touch. And then Blight and Death Ward at seventh. And finally, Anti-Life Shell and Raise Dead at ninth. Yeah, have a little bit of that necromancy feel in there and kind of mm-hmm. that ebb mm-hmm. and flow of giving and taking life. At first level, you get Circle of Mortality. Uh, when you would normally roll one or more dice to restore hit points to a creature at zero hit points, you instead use the highest number possible for each dice. In addition, you learn the Spare the Dying cantrip, 
which doesn't count against your cleric cantrips, you know, and has now has a range of 30 feet, and you can cast it as a bonus action. So with this this kind of feature, you're often better off letting your party members drop to zero. And then healing them. And then healing them to raise them, because you're getting just more health points there. Right. If he has like, let's say your fighter buddy is over there, and he has three hit points, and you heal with cure wounds, that'll do D8 plus your wisdom mod. So, you know, we're talking... Optimistically speaking, here four to twelve points of damage. Yeah, and if you you can't heal or you're out of heals, you have spare the dying to make sure right. that you can stabilize. But if he's at zero, if he's already down, and then you cast it, it's automatically at eight plus four, so it's a guaranteed twelve. Yeah, that's the way to do it. Five e like going down is not as a big of a deal as it used to be because you have you can roll the death saves, and we're not getting into that negative HP as much. Though there is some instant death rules for large amounts of damage in five e, so. In 5e, you go down, but you get up more, I find, yeah, a lot of the time, which is fine. It creates good tension, and it's pretty cool to just be like, boom, pop them right back up. And you can flavor that a lot of different ways. It definitely also fits a nice beat for changing a tide in a battle or the yeah, tone exactly. of it. You know, it gives it, you some nice narrative levers to pull. Like, it is does. it an inspirational speech or a plea to your god or just yeah, yeah. some badass moment you pull off? You also at first level get Eyes of the Grave, which is the ability to occasionally sense the presence of undead whose existence is an insult to the natural life cycle. This one kind of kills me, though, because it's any undead within 60 feet of you that isn't behind total cover. <laughs> Zombies always come out from behind total cover. The Vamp- ground. The vampire comes out from a coffin. Like, so does the mummy. Like, undead usually pop out of somewhere yeah it's true it's like watch a zombie movie man and it takes an action to do it you know it doesn't tell you anything about its creatures or identity and you can only use it a number of times equal to your wisdom mod you have to do a long rest when you get it back when you see those bones scattered over the dungeon is there any undead yeah you want to make sure they're not going to turn into skeletons all of a sudden basically this is every time you walk into a room where there are bodies and you can the dm says there are a bunch of bodies in that you see all over the place you can automatically go are any of them undead and the DM will have to tell you yes or no. Right. But so that's like camp- a very kind of niche. Yeah. More use useful case. in some campaigns than in others. Yes, absolutely true. The channel divinity for this subclass is Path to the Grave. Starting at second level, uh, you can mark another creature's life force for termination. It has to be a creature you can see within 30 feet of you. You essentially curse it until the end of your next turn. The next time you or an ally of yours hits that cursed creature, the creature then has vulnerability to all of that attack's damage, and then the curse ends. So this is a sweet way to just get some double damage in mm, there. It's like a hunter's mark for a ranger. Yeah, it's like a quick little hunter's mark with a little like spiky damage. Yeah. Who doesn't love that? Your your party members will enjoy it. You know, it, you can really boost your barbarian there or any of your damaged DPS characters. I wish it didn't take an action to do it. I agree. I agree. It does take it, you know, it would be nice as a bonus action, but... So at 6th level, you gain Sentinel at Death's Door, which is the ability to impede Death's progress. As a reaction, when you or an ally you can see within 30 feet suffer a critical hit, you turn that attack into a normal hit. Any other effects triggered by the critical hit are canceled. So it's basically, nope. Yeah, and you can use it a number of times equal to your Wisdom modifier, which is, I hope, at least a 3 if you're playing a Cleric. Yeah. So mathematically, you're going to shut down a lot of the crits that against your party members in a given session by using this. Right, because crits are fairly uncommon anyway, right? Like, so it's a 5% see, you know, chance you're going to roll a crit, maybe 10 in some scenarios percent chance. If it happens, you have like three of these or more, you're going to do just, you're, nope. You're shutting down three crits a game. That's great. Yeah, totally. Can't argue with that mathematically. 
at eighth level, you get potent spellcasting, which is again just adding your wisdom mod to the damage you deal with any cleric cantrip. Whoop de doo. Whoop de doo. And then finally, at seventeenth level, Keeper of Souls lets you seize a trace of vitality from a parting soul and use it to heal the living. When an enemy you can see dies within 30 feet of you, you or one of your allies within your choice that's within 30 feet of you regains hit points equal to the enemy's number of hit dice. So if it had eight hit dice, yeah. that person gets eight hit points. You're not getting a ton, but it's something. Uh, for a 17th level level ability, I'm not super stoked on it. But You can use it only if you aren't capacitated, and once you use it, you can't do so again until the start of your next turn. But here's the thing. It doesn't cost an action. That's the nice thing. It's a freebie. Right. It's one of those freebies, so it's hard to argue with that. It doesn't eat into your action economy. It's just free health. Yep. Hey, so, I mean, once a turn, if you're taking something out, somebody's going to get something back. Yep. So you could build a cleric in this way to be oh, the one who helps you wade through hordes of It just little... has to be an enemy you can see die. You don't even have to kill it yourself. That's true. So that's a nice bonus. Right, right. right. So the next domain is the knowledge domain. This one's from the PHB. Good old-fashioned PHB. Knowledge remains a classic. So, cleric level, first level domain spells, you get command and identify, followed by augury and suggestion. After that, you get non-detection and speak with dead. Always a weird one. Always a weird one, but kind of fun in the right the right setting. Yeah. Arcane Eye and Confusion come next at 7th level, and ninth level, you get legend lore and scrying. They all make pretty decent sense, given what... The, yeah, this is your lore cleric, here. right? Your, yeah. This is your your priest that stays bundled up ostensibly and uh, uh, collects knowledge about stuff or is traveling around the world to learn more about it, these kind of things. Exactly. At first level, you get Blessings of Knowledge, which is basically two languages of your choice and proficiency in two of the following skills, be they arcana, <clears throat> history, nature, or religion, any of the knowledge skills classically. And then your proficiency bonus is doubled for any ability check you make that uses either of those skills. Which is great. I will take that. Super powerful. Super handy. I'm always like on the fence with knowledge skills in 5e, but hey, if you're going to double them, that's, I'm cool with I that. I mean, I think that's because skills in 5e are like barely a thing. Barely a thing. This is true. Um, but it's nice to have doubled numbers. Yeah, <laughs> totally. take that. So second level, you get channel divinity for knowledge of the ages, and it lets you use your channel divinity to tap into a divine well of knowledge. As an action, you can use one skill or tool that you get to you pick it, and then for ten minutes, uh, you have proficiency with this the chosen skill or tool. Whatever I kind it of is. really like this one. It's very simple, but so versatile, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it's so nice to be able to just kind of be like, I need to be proficient in this skill. Now I am right because like every time you play a character, there's usually like one or two skills where you're like, man, I really wish I was proficient in that. But there's no way in hell I'm spending a feet on it. If like, only we had worth, somebody who just, is proficient in how carts not, work. It's just not worth it sometimes, you know? Yeah, right. Yeah, imagine now, like, it would have been more useful in 3.5. Like, does anyone have use rope? <laughs> totally. <laughs> uh, at, you also get a, a different channel divinity, though, which is kind of interesting. You get a twofer with this class. You get another one at level six called Read Thoughts. Yeah. And at sixth level, you can read a creature's thoughts. Uh, you can then use your access to the creature's mind to command it, which is a step further away from knowledge, but hey, okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean... Knowledge is power, right? I guess so, in this case. As an action, you can choose one creature within 60 feet. They have to make a wisdom saving throw. Um, if they succeed on the saving throw, you can't use this feature again until a long rest. Otherwise, you can keep trying until it works. Uh, if the creature fails its save, then you can read its surface thoughts. And with when it... As long as it's within 60 feet. Uh, this effect lasts for one minute. 
During that time, you can ex use an action to end the effect and cast the suggestion spell on the creature without expending a spell slot. The target automatically fails its saving throw against that suggestion spell. So that's kind of like where the, the meat and potatoes of this one comes in is, yeah, you get to read its thoughts, but you also get a free suggestion spell in there. Mind control. Which is kind of cool. Yeah, a little yeah, creepy. It's, it's a little creepy for the knowledge domain. It would make sense for other domains, I think, a little bit more. Yeah. I, maybe it would make more sense if you just got deeper amounts of knowledge or you could learn more things from them rather than commanding them to take action, but yeah, eh, whatever. At 8th level, you get potent spell casting. This is, again, your wisdom mod to the damage you deal with any cleric cantrip. What'd they do? Woo! And then finally, at 17th level, you get visions of the past, where you can call up visions of the past that relate to an object you hold in your immediate surroundings. You can spend at least one minute in meditation and prayer and then receive dreamlike, shadowy glimpses of recent events. You can meditate in this way for a number of minutes equal to your wisdom score, and then you have to maintain concentration during that time as if you were casting a spell. Once so you use it, you can't use it again until you finish a short or a long rest, but it gives you two cool abilities. This one is super flavorful and really fun. I just wish you could get it a little earlier because it's not totally. so powerful. It needs to be a 17th level kind of thing. So object reading, uh, you hold an object as you meditate, you can see visions of the object's previous owner. You learn how the owner acquired and lost the object, the most recent significant events involving the object. Uh, if the object was owned by another creature within a number of days equal to your wisdom score, you can like figure out some information about said creature. The other one you get is area reading, where you kind of do the same thing for a room or an area. You see visions of recent events uh, in a 50-foot cube. Uh, you know, it could be a room, a street, a tunnel, whatever. And it goes back a number of days equal to your wisdom score. So for each minute you meditate, you learn about one significant event, beginning with the most recent. Uh, significant events, it says, typically involve powerful emotions such as battles, betrayals, marriages, murders, births, and funerals. However, they might include more mundane events that are nevertheless important in your current situation. That's not vague McVeigher pants. I don't oh, right. know what is. But just from that, as a DM, if you use this, I would make it the most mundane thing ever. And <laughs> then it would be so important. And you would be like, I hate you so much. But that's a good reveal. Yeah. You know, it's classic anime move. You're like, why was he putting that thing in a box? It just, nah, it's not important. Actually, the whole series is about that box. What does that have to do with the socks what? in the box? Why do we even care about his socks? Oh, Right. Whoa. Socks are actually pretty important. So next we have another PHP classic, and it's the Life Domain. And uh, this one is basically your classic uh, healer cleric. This is your white mage. Yeah, total white mage. You start off with Bless and Cure Wounds at first level, and then you get Lesser Restoration and Spiritual Weapon at third level, followed by Beacon of Hope and Revivify. And then at seventh level, you get uh, Death Ward and Garden, Guardian of Faith, and finally, at ninth level, you get Mass Cure Wounds and Raise Dead. No one will be mad if you pick this one. No, definitely not. They will be very happier in their party. You will keep them alive, and they will be grateful. At right, first level, you get proficiency with heavy armor because now you're a tanky heal bot. Because <laughs> yeah. a lot of these are touch spells. It's it's pretty handy to have. You're going to need to be up there. And in you can heal yourself, too, so you can actually make a good off tank if you need to. Then uh, you also get Disciple of Life, uh, which basically means your healing spells are more effective. When you use a spell of first level or higher to restore hit points, it gains an additional hit points equal to two plus the spell's level. Hell yeah. So you're getting at least a three bonus hit points on every healing spell you Absolutely cast. Absolutely useful. And you can pump that up too. So yes, I will take that. That's great. At second level, your channel divinity is preserve life and you basically use it to heal the badly injured. 
As an action, you present your holy symbol and evoke healing energy that can restore a number of hit points equal to five times your cleric level. You can choose any creatures within 30 feet of you. You divide those hit points amongst them. This feature can restore a creature to no more than half its hit point max. That's an important caveat. You can't use this feature on an undead or a construct. So this is going to keep them alive, but it's not going to keep them at top shape. This is great for turning the tide of a battle. It's a little bit more limited in lay on hands from the paladin, but mm-hmm. similar. The nice thing is it's a range, and you can kind of divide your hit points among your allies however you want. Right. So great for turning the tide of the battle. Very in theme with the class. I like it. At 6th level, you get Blessed Healer, where the healing spells you cast on others heal you as well. So when you cast a spell 1st level or higher that restores hit points to another creature, you regain hit points equal to 2 plus the spell's level. This really just feels like an MMO healer class, and I love it. It does totally feel like that. It also lets you be a pretty decent off-tank, too, with with this ability. 5th level, though, you just get Divine Strike again. 8th level, 8th level. Oh, 8th level, excuse me, you're right. But it's Divine Strike again. Yep. But this time, it's Radiant Damage, which is a pretty good damage source. So Not a lot of things have resistance to Radiant it's, Damage. It's or better than the Fire it. one. Yeah. Finally, at 17th level, you get Supreme Healing, which is when you would normally roll one or more dice to re- restore hit points with a spell. You instead roll the highest number possible for each die. So, for example, instead of restoring 2d6 hit points to a creature, you just restore 12. You just get it all. Here's your max. Boom. <laughs> and for a 17th level... Yeah, I'm okay with that one. You know, hit points yep. are very powerful yep. in 5e, and you've cast these spells so many fucking times by this point. How would you not be good at it? Man, all these like different cleric domains have gotten me feeling parched. It's a lot to get through. Thankfully, there I believe there's a tavern domain. We should stop there's inside. There's a temple of it we right here. We should have a drink and, uh, and, and talk. We should do that. Let's do it. Welcome to Tavern Talk, where we review a brew and toast to you. Our valued listeners. So this week, we were going to do one particular brew. It was going to be a beer called Brother Thelonious, but we had a little bit of a delay in our recording because last time we went to record this, we didn't press the record button. Yeah, we kind of forget to hit the record button last time. The beer was delicious, but we couldn't find it today, so we got something fiddly. Fitting instead. This one's called Heretic Evil Twin, a bold West Coast Red Ale, India Pale Ale. So I don't know what that makes sense. That the, sounds like 60% of the time, yeah. it's 100% of the time, all of the time, right? We we got the Evil Twin of Brother Thelonious because we, for some reason, couldn't find him at BevMo. Yeah, I don't know what's up with that. He's slacking off, that brother. It says here in the bottle, looking for something other than your typical IPA, this blood red ale has a rich malt character without being overly sweet. It has a huge hop character without being overly bitter. It is a bold, rich, balanced craft beer full of caramel notes from the malt and citrus and tropical fruit notes from massive dry hopping. I would say it is very balanced. Our evil twin is only bad because it is too good to resist. It is not. Yeah, it's right in the middle. It's not too bitter. It's not too sweet. It's it's not one of those red ales that's super duper refreshing because it has that little bit of that IPA. It does. It character does. to it. it. But it's not a kick in the face like hoppy no, like no. a lot of IPAs it's, are, it's and it's not malty. as coppery as a lot of red ales. It I is think very it's malty, right down the middle as they describe it. Yeah, it's from Fairfield, California. It's got six point eight ABV. I enjoy it. Yeah, it's a, it's a solid brew. Uh, Evil Twin is is the beer I believe, and Heretic is the brewing company, mm-hmm. but. 
every cleric's a heretic to someone else, so I think it's fitting. Uh, I mean, and also people who don't worship clerics are heretics to the clerics. Don't you want heels? Of course. Of course. So. Let's talk about our contest. We do have a contest going on, and because of our production delay and Skylar's tropical forays. Oh, yes, We've had to extend (laughs) it. So our New Year New Dice contest is going to go to the end of February because it's a short month, so whatever. Uh, We're going to be posting a little bit more on the Twitter to advertise that because I have been a total ghost there and... Yeah, we're just not huge social media guys, so, so that's how it goes. New Year, New Dice, basically, we want you to share the show, and we're willing to reward you to do it with some pretty swanky dice. We have two dice for two winners in this contest. First place winner, the first person who shares our show, uh, is going to get the the best set, which is the Sinister Emerald Far Realms Radio Complete Diehard Dice Set. And second place, whoever does it next, is going to get... A particularly beautiful, and you can see both of these on Twitter, uh, large. I think it's like a space moon rock. Yeah, the Dire D20. Dire D20. It's pretty cool. It really does change color depending on how the light hits it. Yeah. That one's pretty neat. Yeah, it's pretty wicked It's got looking. that space theme going on. It reminds on. me of Mind Flayers. It does. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. It's it's a scary dice to roll as a DM. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But yeah, they're all both made by Die Hard Dice. They're, they make great stuff. We have a lot of their dice and really enjoy it. Uh, our next contest will probably be a book of some kind, as that's yeah. the other thing people have requested. That way we can push knowledge on you. Ha 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 ha. Just like the knowledge cleric, you know? It's good stuff, kid. First one's free. <laughs> Actually, they're all free because they're giveaways. Just share the show, man. Uh, you can share the show on Twitter. Uh, that's what you got to do to enter the contest. It has hashtag Far Realms Radio needs to be in that post to enter. Otherwise, you can enter the contest by sharing the show in any way and just selling it as proof to farrealmsradio at gmail.com. You could just take a screenshot of a text you sent your friend that's like, check out this dope podcast. Email that to us, and hey, we'll put you right in the contest. You'll be in the contest. Good luck. Good luck. Have fun out there. All right. Entering contests. Let's get back to the show. Let's do it. And we're back. All right. So let's talk about the light domain. This is an also a PHB one. I like this one because it just like is easy to go with the theme. Yeah. I mean, and this is like your classic cleric of the light, right? Hard to go wrong here. You get a lot of utility. You get a lot of good, useful stuff and <laughs> you, also some power. You also get fireball. You do. Yeah. <laughs> Always makes the whole thing worth it. So take us through the list. So at first level, you get Burning Hands and Fairy Fire, both great spells. Mm -hmm. Uh, Fairy Fire is an underrated spell, I Mm -hmm. think, and it's perfect for a cleric. Uh, Third level, you get Flaming Sphere and Scorching Ray. So by light, we mean fire. Yeah, by light, they mean things that make light, I guess. There's (laughs) other spells that would make more sense, but I'm not going to argue with those. They're both pretty solid. Uh, At fifth level, you get Daylight and Fireball. Bada bing. Of course. Fireball is a useful, very useful spell. Daylight, I hope so. That kind of makes sense. For a light domain, of course. Right. Uh, At 7th level, you get Guardian of Faith and Wall of Fire, followed up at ninth level with Flame Strike and Scrying. I am personally always partial to Flame Strike due to playing a lot of Ultima Online back in the day. I can see that pillar of fire in my head, you know. Flame Strike has always been a great spell. So it's just nice to have Flame Strike there. Scrying is a little strange. It doesn't have anything to do with light, but hey. I don't know. Whatever. That works, I guess. Uh, bonus cantrip at first level. You 
gained the light can trip. Surprise. <laughs> Shock. Maze. If you don't already know it. So, so basically pick something so else and then also like, take light. Do not pick the light can trip anywhere else if you're going with the subclass. Right. Uh, you also get warding flare. This one's kind of cool, actually. Warding flare. Also, at first level, you can interpose divine light between yourself and an attacking enemy. When you're attacked by a creature within 30 feet of you, you can see you can use your reaction to impose disadvantage on the attack, I guess, causing light to flash before the attacker's eyes, making before it hits or misses. And then uh, if an attacker can't be blinded, it's immune to this creature. So it's basically you're like shining a light in your enemy's eyes by divine power. It could also just be holding a mirror in the sun. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tilting your watch so it blinds them, you know. Moving your sword just just <laughs> so. Right. Uh, you can use the feature a number of times equal to your wisdom modifier. You gain all expended uses on a long rest. This is great. Uh, being able to impose disadvantage with a reaction is huge. Super powerful. D- it disadvantages a lot. That's a minus four to five, depending on the math. That's great. At second level, your channel divinity is Radiance of the Dawn. It lets you use it basically to harness sunlight, banishing darkness, and dealing radiant damage to your foes. As an action, you can present your holy symbol, and any magical darkness within 30 feet of you is dispelled. Additionally, each hostile creature within 30 feet of you has to make a constitution save, and a creature that takes radiant damage equal to 2d10 plus your cleric level on a failed saving throw, and half as much on a successful one. A creature that has total cover is not affected. So it's basically like, if you're hostile, and that's a very loose definition by which to pick, (laughs) and or darkness, take damage from me. I love that they use the term hostile a lot in D&D, and I'm like, that's a very loose term in this game. Yeah. This is a game with a lot of murder. It could flip that way real quick. Really quickly. And different players are like, well, he wouldn't give me the item I wanted, so therefore hostile. <laughs> but when for me, when I imagine a cleric channeling divinity, I kind of picture this in my head, honestly. They I hold agree. out that holy symbol, and it's just like, ah. Yeah, flavor-wise, I love it. Sixth level gets you improved flare, where you can also use your warding flare feature when a creature that you can see within 30 feet of you attacks a creature other than you. Which is also great. You're imposing disadvantage on an attack roll as a reaction. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. So at at eighth level, you get potent spellcasting. You add your wisdom modifier to the damage you deal with cleric cantrips. We we know this one by now. Uh, But at... 17th level, you get Corona of Light. You can use your action to activate an aura of sunlight that lasts for one minute or until you dismiss it using an action. Here's your halo. Yeah, this is your halo. You emit bright light in a 60-foot radius and dim light 30 feet beyond that. Your enemies in the bright light just straight up have disadvantage on any saving throw against any spell that deals fire or radiant damage. So you can essentially use this to cast Fireball. And they're going to take full damage no matter how well they roll. Right. It's it's okay, I guess. I mean, I don't know. this is a pretty powerful one. I don't know if it's as powerful as Cleric of the Forge, but still. You know. For a 17th level feature, it does feel a little, a little, eh. So next up, we have the Nature Domain, also in the Player's Handbook. And uh, this is, you know, sort of crossover with Druid a little bit. Um, at first level, it gets you Animal Friendship and Speak with Animals. Third level gets you Bark Skin and Spike Growth. Fifth level is Plant Growth and Wind Wall. Seventh level is Dominate Beast, Grasping Vine. And then ninth level gets you Insect Plague and Tree Stride. They all make good sense. It's kind of nice to see one lean into the, the Druid side a little bit more. Naturey. Yeah. At first level, Acolyte of the Nature lets you learn one cantrip of your choice from the Druid spell list. Shock. You also gain proficiency in one of the following skills of your choice. Animal Handling, Nature, or Survival. You also gain proficiency with heavy armor. That one's a little strange, considering druids don't really use 
heavy armor, especially yeah. metal I armor. I think it's but, just cleric. But hey, cleric, I'll take it. Right. Uh, second level, your channel divinity is charm animals and plants. You can essentially charm animals and plants. As an action, you basically present your holy symbol and invoke the name of your deity. And each beast or plant creature that you can see within 30 feet of you has to make a wisdom save. If it fails, then it's charmed by you for one minute or until it takes damage. And while it's charmed by you, it's friendly and the other creatures that you designate to you. Again, so you can make animal friends. <laughs> Hooray. So this is how you trap your poke creatures. Yeah, this one this one works. It so makes sense. Pokeball is just, you know. At least for a minute. Charm. For one minute. At uh, sixth level, you get dampened elements, which means when you or a creature within 30 feet of you takes acid, cold, fire, lightning, or thunder damage, you can use your reaction to grant resistance to the creature against that instance of the damage. So you're going to get zotted for something? I can protect you. It's okay. Yeah, you're going to get half the damage, which is always nice. At eighth level, Divine Strike, you get the ability to infuse your weapon strikes with Divine Energy. This is the one where basically on each of your turns, when you hit a creature with a weapon attack, you can cause it to deal an extra D8 of your pick now. Cold, fire, lightning uh, to the target, which is pretty useful. So this one's a little bit better than the other ones because you get to choose between a couple different damage types. And at 14th level, it goes up to 2d8. So that's kind of nice. Yeah. The, the choice, I like having the choice there. It makes it mean a little bit more, and they're all nature-y. That's kind of what they're getting at. It's kind of weir- weird that it's just cold, fire, and lightning, though. Where's your thunder? Yeah, like the other ones are not nature, I guess. I don't know. Uh, but you do become a master of nature at 17th level. You gain the ability to command animals and plants. While creatures are charmed by your charm animals and plants feature, you can take a bonus action on your turn to verbally command what each of those creatures will do on its next turn. At 17th level, commanding squirrels is not very powerful. <laughs> no. But, you know, you can do it. I honestly look at this subclass and I'm like, just play a druid. It, it, I agree. Just play a druid, man. I mean, I agree. There's no reason. Maybe except for the heavy armor. I don't know. Like... I, yeah, if you want to be a druid with heavy armor, maybe. Or... If you want to do a druid cleric multi-class, this is fantastic because they're both wisdom casters, yeah. and this gets you some heavy armor. Sure. So you could definitely go that route as well. Still seems a little bit niche anyway. I agree. Next up is from Ravnica, an oft-overlooked book. It's I the, like this domain, though. Yeah, it's the order domain. The order domain is interesting. So at first level, you get command and heroism. At third level, you get hold person. And Zone of Truth. This sort of replaces the Law Domain from 3rd Yeah, edition. Yeah, it's very similar. Uh, at 5th level, you get Mass Healing Word and Slow. Whoa! Yes, okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, then you get Compulsion and Locate Creature. Uh, at ninth level, you get Commune and Dominate Person. It's a kind of a strange mix of domination and little bits of everything else. You will obey. So, bonus proficiencies at 1st level. You get proficiency with Heavy Armor, as well as... This kind of shows you where this subclass works. Proficiency in the intimidation or persuasion skill. Essentially, you you tell people what to do, and you're either persuasive or you're really intimidating about it. This is like the boss domain. Yeah, basically. Do what I say. You also get voice of authority at first level, where you can invoke the power of law to drive an ally to attack. If you cast a spell with a slot, spell slot of first level or higher and target an ally with the spell... That ally can use their reaction immediately after the spell to make one weapon attack against a creature of your choice that you can see. If the spell targets more than one ally, you choose the ally who can make the attack. This is great. This is free action economy. I will take it. I'm going to heal you. Also, you're going to attack now. Yeah, right? That's As a receiver of that, that's fantastic. Super useful. So at second level, your channel divinity is orders demand, and you can use it to exert an intimidating presence over others. 
As an action, you present your holy symbol, and each creature of your choice that can see or hear you within 30 feet of you must succeed in a wisdom saving throw or be charmed by you until the end of your next turn or until the charmed creature takes any damage. You can also cause any of the charmed creatures to drop what they are holding when they fail to save. You compel them. So this is really useful also for DMs, by the way, to be able to say, I'm going to make your PCs drop their weapons. It's infuriating to players if you do this. But as the player, if you're facing a horde of bad guys, this is definitely useful. Against a big bad, eh, maybe not so much. But yeah, that's a fun one. That's a fun one. Power of Christ compels you. (laughs) Right. At sixth level, you get embodiment of a law. You become adept at channeling magical energy to compel others. So you cast a spell out of the enchantment school. When you do so, using a spell slot of the first level or higher, you can change the casting time to a bonus action, provided the spell's casting time is already normally in at one action. So you can use this a number of times equal to your wisdom modifier. You regain that on a long rest. This is cool because you're just getting more free action economy, which is insanely powerful in 5th edition. Basically, for the enchantment school, it lets you turn an enchantment spell into a bonus action, which means you can either then also attack or do something else or cast a cantrip. Which right? is great. Yeah. It makes it a lot more desirable to use those enchantment spells because then you still get to do something. Right. It's always kind of disappointing when you like enchant something and you're like, and that's my turn. I hope you use that well, person I cast that on. Especially if the enchantment is like against the enemy, it fails. You right, know? and then you're like, oh, cool. That, that's it. Uh, you get Divine Strike Surprise. This time it's Psychic Damage, which is very rarely resisted. It's true. Uh, you get that at 8th level. We're not going to describe it again. You know it. At 17th level, you get Order's Wrath, which is enemies you designate for the for destruction wilt under the combined efforts of you and your allies. If you deal divine your divine strike damage to a creature on your turn, you can curse that creature until the start of your next turn. The next time one of your allies hits the cursed creature with an attack, the target also takes 2d8 psychic damage and the curse ends. You can use a curse you can curse a creature in this way only once per turn. So it's basically you hit a thing and mark it, and the next time you or anybody else on your side hits it, ouch, extra damage. Yeah, I almost would want to see this earlier or maybe a slightly different flavor. It's a little strange. Even the name Order's Wrath is kind of weird. Wrath tends to be a chaotic thing. But hey, mm. you know. Speaking of Wrath, our next one is Tempest from the Player's Handbook. Yeah. This is this is where you become Thor, I believe. Yeah, very, very close to it. At first level, you get Fog Cloud and Thunder Wave. And then at third level, you get Gust of Wind and Shatter. And at fifth level, you get Call Lightning and Sleet Storm. At 7th level, you get Control Water and Ice Storm, and then at ninth level, you get Destructive Wave and Insect Plague. Insect Plague is a little out of left field there, <laughs> but... I mean, Tempest, I guess, is, you know, they're just including... Storm of Insects. Sure. Yeah, biblical stuff. Yeah, right? Maybe that's what they're leaning into, though. At 1st level, you gain proficiency with martial weapons and heavy armor. So, you know, this is the cleric to pick if you intend to fight a lot, because martial weapons and heavy armor is like what fighters get. <laughs> That's how you build Thor. And then you also get Wrath of the Storm, which is you can thunderously rebuke attackers. When a creature within five feet of you that you can see hits you with an attack, you can use your reaction to cause the creature to make a deck save. The creature takes 2d8 lightning or thunder damage, your choice, on a failed save and half as much damage on success. You can use a number of times equal to your wisdom mod, and you regain 
all expended uses when you finish a long rest. It's hellish rebuke for clerics. <laughs> yeah, basically. Which is great. <laughs> Who doesn't like, like, when someone hits you, you're like, no, fuck you. Bam. And then they take damage. Right. I personally love hellish rebuke for that because you just, like, you can angrily point at someone when they hit you, and then all of a sudden they probably take damage. Right. It's a very satisfying way to use your reaction. Uh, at second level, your channel divinity feature is destructive wrath. You can use your channel divinity to wield the power of the storm. When you roll lightning or thunder damage, you can just deal max damage instead of rolling. Hell. This actually stacks quite well with the other features in this class. Mm -hmm. So that 2d8 lightning or thunder damage is straight up 16 damage. Bam. If they fail that deck save, eight, eight if they if succeed. They but still, that's a great amount of free damage to have. Uh, Thunderous Strike follows up at level six. When you deal lightning damage to a large or smaller creature, you can push it up to 10 feet away from you. Some nice battlefield For control. Battlefield control is kind of hard to come by in 5e, and yep. it is it really makes a difference. It does. It makes more of a difference on the monster side than it does on the player side because it prevents big monsters from just getting hit by five people at one time. But so here's still useful. At 8th level, your channel divinity pays off again, and it stacks with Divine Strike here, where, of course... You know, when you hit with a weapon attack, it deals an extra D8 uh, thunder damage. 14th level is 2D8, but of course you can maximize it with your Divine Strike to just do an automatic 8 extra damage, which is a lot. I'll take it. Finally, at 17th level, you get Stormborn, where you gain a flying speed equal to your current walking speed whenever you are not underground or indoors. Which is, you're Thor and you can fly, but not underground or indoors. <laughs> exactly. For some reason. Uh, it's fine. Shut up. <laughs> it's like 17th level I'm like if you really want to fly I'm pretty sure you figured out another way to do it by, by 17th this, by level by this point yeah you're like hey wizard cast fly on me <laughs> make it or so I'll hit you with my hammer I will knock you off that cliff do it 10 feet away <laughs> <laughs> so next up is another PHP classic the trickery domain I love that you get kind of the weird domains because clerics aren't always good they aren't always like super upright it's nice to have a cleric of Loki you yeah. Know. Oh, totally. He's my favorite Marvel character. Uh, all right. So at first level, you get Charm Person and Disguise Self. These are two classic trickster uh, spells and are often used for mischief and mayhem to great impact. At third level, third level, you get Mirror Image, a classic defensive one, and Pass Without Trace, which is interesting to me because I think it's a sleeper spell that people often overlook. It is a sleeper spell, and in certain campaigns, it could be really helpful. At fifth level, you get Blink and Dispel Magic, useful for survivability in both cases. Any good trickster need those up their sleeve. At seventh level, you get Dimension Door and Polymorph, which opens up a whole suite of possibilities for oh, things yeah. you can screw those with. Those are both just always handy. And then ninth level really gets you Dominate Person and Modify Memory. What is real? Is the top spinning or not? I How many layers deep have we gone? Modify Memory and Dominate Person are the two most insidious freaking spells <laughs> There, you could do some fucked up shit with those. Absolutely. So be nice to your players and DMs, lines and veils, people. Tricksters, maybe one of those ones where you want to talk about lines and veils, depending on and how well you know your Player agency. People. Right. Don't be dick to your party members, okay? <laughs> right. So uh, you get Blessing of the Trickster at first level, which is you can use your action to touch a willing creature other than yourself and give it advantage on dexterity stealth checks. The blessing lasts for an hour or until you use it again. So that's useful for helping somebody sneak with you. And then at second level, you get Invoke Duplicity, which is using your channel divinity to create an illusory duplicate of yourself. This is so cool. As an action, you create a perfect illusion of yourself that lasts for one minute or until you lose concentration, as if you were concentrating on a spell. 
The illusion appears in an unoccupied space that you can see within 30 feet of you, and as a bonus action on your turn, you can move it up to 30 feet to a space you can see, but it must remain within 120 feet of you. For the duration, you can cast spells as though you were in the illusion space, but you must use your own senses. Additionally, when you and your illusion are within five feet of a creature that can see the illusion, you have advantage on attack rolls against that creature, given how distracting the illusion is to the target. What a fun early level feature. It really makes up for the the sneakiness feature not being that great. Uh, it's super cool. I think it's really a flexible power that has a, lends itself to oh, a lot of creativity. You can be very tricky with it. It's also a nice way to deliver touch attacks without having <laughs> to get into melee yourself. That's very true. It's very nice for that. Or granting flanking for yourself yeah, if yeah, you use that. right. I really enjoy this one. This one's great. At 6th level, you get Cloak of Shadows, where you can use your Channel Divinity to vanish. Poof. Classic. As an action, you become invisible until the end of your next turn. You become visible if you attack or cast a spell. Basically, it's Smoke Bomb. Yeah, it's a Smoke Bomb. Ninja Vanish. It's not that level of invisibility. I always take issue with things that make you invisible until the end of your next turn, because how helpful is that, really? Not as helpful. It's really not. You're maybe going to avoid one attack. They can still try to attack you with the, at disadvantage, even. Well, what it would do is let you get away from a, f- a fight without an opportunity attack. This is true. That's but about yeah, that's the maybe. guarantee. Yeah, you vanish and move away. You know, you may as well withdraw, but maybe there's I don't know. Ninja vanish. Yeah, it's a smoke bomb. Uh, you get surprised to find strike again, but this time it's poison damage at Which level is, eight. I guess makes sense. Makes sense. It's it's the most tricky thing of the damage types, I'd say. Yeah. Um, and then at seventeenth level. You get improved duplicity, and you can make four duplicates of yourself instead of one. As a bonus action on your turn, you can move any number of them up to 30 feet to a maximum range of 120. This is where it gets so crazy. However, what I think would be cooler would be if your invoke duplicity ability scaled with level. That would be And we got a different capstone power at 17th level because there's a lot of things you could do with the trickery domain. I don't see any illusion magic here, which is a little strange for trickery in my opinion. Yeah. Um, Or maybe it would give you a better invisibility or teleport. I don't know. I feel like this one could be slightly better, but that other one's just so much fun. It's just yeah. weird to me that it goes from one to now you can do four. Yeah, I don't know. It's a big jump. How did they come by it? Or it's You don't it's, see jumps like that a lot in D&D. Usually it, it, it kind of goes in stages. But so it is. So the next one we have is another PHP classic, and it's the last one that we're touching upon, which is the War Domain. The War Domain. This one's fun. Yeah. I like it. I mean, it's a classic, right? A Priest of War is... Uh, Often seen in yeah. all of the different tropes. Or War Priest is sometimes a class into itself. So, first level, Divine Favor and Shield of Faith. Third level is Magic Weapon and Spiritual Weapon. Fifth level is Crusader's Mantle and Spirit Guardians. You don't see those ones a ton. Nope. Uh, freedom of Movement, always good. Stone Skin, usually pretty good. Flame Strike and Hold Monster. Mm-hmm. I almost feel like there should be more large area of effect spells for a War Cleric. Like... I feel like a war cleric would cast fireball. Ah, uh, yeah, I, I think you're like probably that's, right. That's like a spell a war cleric would know. But let's get into it a little bit more. So at first level, you know, you get proficiency with martial and weapons and heavy armor. It seems to make sense, of course. This is your battle cleric, pretty classic build. You also get to be a war priest in that your god delivers bolts of inspiration to you while you're engaged in battle. When you use the attack action, you can make one weapon attack as a bonus action. So you start off with two attacks. That's pretty, that's pretty great. Good. It, this clearly leans 
more into the melee side of things. You can only use a number of times equal to your wisdom modifier, and you gain all expended uses during a long rest. Still pretty handy, right? Yeah. It's yeah. You're up there with a monk getting that extra attack pretty early. Uh, your channel divinity is called Guided Strike. Starting at the second level, when you make an attack roll, you can use channel divinity to gain plus 10 bonus to the roll. Oof. You make this choice after you see the roll, but before the DM tells you whether it hits or misses, you do not see a plus 10 in 5e Hardly at all. This makes, this screams Pathfinder to me, it or does. a three point five Dungeons and Dragons. And because does. of that, I fucking love it. I know. <laughs> I'm like, it's not like like advantage. That's only like plus five sometimes mathematically at best. How about plus ten? Yeah. I'm like, fuck yeah. Who doesn't want a plus ten to something? Totally. It's strange though. You do not see like a random plus ten bonus in hardly any other features in 5e. Which is funny because it shows up again with, at 6th level, War God's Blessing. When a creature within 30 feet of you makes an attack roll, you can use your reaction to grant that creature a plus 10 bonus to the roll using your channel divinity. That's so weird. You make this attack after you see the roll, but before the DM says where the attack hits or misses. It's, I think this is like their acquiescence. They're it, like, you know what, we get it. You want to build your battle cleric that was invincible like, from the prior your, edition. your melee diviner caster here's your plus 10 right it's, it's strange <laughs> it's not a re-roll it's not nope. you can add you know like there's favored by the gods you uh, can roll like 2d8 and add it yes but you get to know if you fail or not beforehand this one's just plus 10 right and then of course at eighth level you get divine strike uh, another d8 but this time it uh, is the same type dealt by the weapon you're dealing so it's just more of whatever you yeah, already have not, not that great honestly scales of course 2d8 at 14th level and then finally, at 17th level, you get Avatar of Battle, wherein you gain resistance to bludgeoning, piercing, and slashing damage from non-magical weapons. Eh, I, I don't mean, know. Forge got it plus fire immunity? Yeah. So... Yeah. I know. that It feels a little lackluster, this one, to me. I'd rather... Rather than playing a War Domain Cleric, I think I'd just pick up Forge Cleric, yes. honestly. Because you're better at all the things this or is Tempest. But the only thing you're missing out on is that extra attack. But you're, you get other cool stuff to make up for it, I think. Uh, there's a couple other... Cleric subclasses that we'll give an honorable mention. We're not going to go through them. They're from the Amonkhet expansion bit here. They're mostly just a mix-up of other cleric features put into different orders and categories. Uh, the ones you will find there is Solidarity, Strength, Ambition, and Zeal. Zeal. Now, Zeal in particular is a little bit ridiculous. <laughs> so if you're looking for like kind of a weird different cleric build you know and your dm's cool with it check out zeal from the amiket stuff anyway i think that covers pretty much all of the official cleric subclasses that we're going to cover agreed and i think that does it for cleric it's one of the beefiest classes that there is super versatile like no one in your party's going to be mad if you have a cleric it's one of those classes where you'll sometimes see two clerics in a party and it's not a weird thing at all because they're so different. I think that we can definitely, hopefully in this edition, finally do away with the stigma against clerics because they really are just so flexible and you can build them to be whatever you want and not have to be the healer in yeah, the party. Yeah, and the nice way. thing about a cleric from a role play perspective is it gives you this, this ideological worldview and that can be really helpful sometimes because you know how your character is going to act because yeah. their their principles are usually pretty clear or the, the principles of the religion, their deity are very clear. And for me, myself, as an atheist, I love playing religious characters because <laughs> I'm like, yes, I know what this character would do, and I don't have to worry about all that other stuff. This is great. Like, I find it really fun. And it's a very cool way to get like a different perspective and a different worldview and explore that through your character because that kind of really affects everything your character does. Because in D&D, &D, all that shit is real. 
Yeah. Belief is power in D&D. Okay. You got to believe to achieve, kids. And you should stay tuned because you can better believe that we are closing in on our contest and we're looking forward to announcing our winners very soon. All right. Until next time. (laughs) 